0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the Ninety min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show... We're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's clash with Brighton coming up on Sunday afternoon. One of three games remaining in the Premier League for the Gunners. Can they continue to apply the pressure on Manchester City? Can they be there in waiting if indeed Manchester City do drop points, the points that they need to drop to give Arsenal a fighting chance of winning the Premier League? It's going to be another fascinating weekend. Uh, We're going to be building up to the game right here. We're going to try and dodge the transfer talk as much as possible today. If anybody has any sort of pressing transfer questions, then do chuck them in when we do the Q&A towards the end of the show. But to give you an idea of what's coming up on this edition of the podcast, we are going to be reviewing Mikel Arteta's press conference ahead of that game against Brighton. We're going to have a look at Brighton and Hove Albion, how their season has fared so far, what we need to be wary of, what we need to look out for. We're going to discuss the statistical head-to-head like we always do on our preview shows. I'll be sharing with you guys my starting 11 prediction and, of course, at the end, We'll wrap up with some of you guys' questions from the live chat box as well. Quick disclaimer, at the beginning, hay fever is back, and it's back with a vengeance. And my throat is tingling just a little bit when I speak for a long period of time. So if you see me, either reach for my hot drink, if you're watching us on YouTube, or hit the mute button, uh, if you're listening on audio, then that's why, because I don't want to be coughing in your ears uh, when you guys are trying to consume the podcast. I imagine that when you've got headphones in, that could be awful awful um let's say a few hellos though before we dive into the thick of the conversation big hello uh, to Tamina Ahmed who says hi Harry how are you doing today uh, any transfer news uh, no real news Tamina there is uh, of course reports doing the rounds uh, Tamina goes on to ask specifically about Declan Rice nothing new um nothing concrete just speculation at the moment we'll have to see how that develops uh, of course uh, throughout the duration of the summer. Big hello to VG Jacob, who says, Hello, Harry. Just marking my attendance. Good to see you. Peeny Wien is with us. Says, I often listen via the pod, but today I'm still going to listen via the pod, but I'm going to remember to hit that like button right here. That's right. Remember, if you're watching us on YouTube, please do leave a like. It really helps. Big hello to Creambone. Uh, we've got Henry. We've got Steve. Um, we've got Sikolelo as well, who joins us, who says, Evening, everybody. Hardly get to catch the show live. This is exciting. Well, welcome along, my friend. Good to see you uh, in the live chat box. Speak hello to Zebic. Uh, we've got Nav. Uh, we've got Mark. We've got Halo. We've got Johnny Ward. Um, we've got Afsar with us. We've got Joey who says, uh, Harry, cheers from stateside, my guy. Big up. We've got a challenge in Brighton this weekend. We cannot look past them. Agree. Because whatever happens, at goodison park i know that game is before us but it means nothing if we don't win against brighton so you know we need to make sure that we uh we do our job uh richie says good afternoon harry glad brighton took a beating last week but will that make them a wounded animal or will it have dented their confidence the thing is they they got beaten didn't they by nottingham forest and then the following game i think they went out and absolutely smashed wolverhampton wanderers so i don't know how that's gonna um how that's going to work out but anyway uh moss says going on tom's show now what are you doing where are you oh you're going on tom's show no problem uh he says telling him uh, that you're going to bring the scarf yeah do and um tell him to nudge me with a text as well just to remind me on sunday when i'm packing my equipment up to to make sure that i throw that in the bag big hello to sam and big hello to mark right let's jump into it um let's do it then so Brighton coming up interesting interesting game and of course as always Mikel Arteta sat down with the media ahead of this one let's take some of the highlights from uh, the press conference that he gave today Um, his every word you can find it on the Arsenal website now of course yesterday there was a report that came out annoyingly about three or four minutes after we finished the live show Uh, With regards to Zinchenko and William Saliba, David Ornstein, I think they called him David Ornstein, turned him into some continental journal. David Ornstein um, said that Alexander Zinchenko and William Saliba had been ruled out for the season. A lot of us looked at Zinchenko coming off at Newcastle United and thought that that was tactical, something that Mikel Arteta wanted to do because we were having, let's say, issues defending on that side. Zinchenko not the best one-on-one defender, as we've talked about a lot in recent weeks. Um, but yeah um that was what David Ornstein reported now just because Mikel Arteta has said what he said today it doesn't mean that David Ornstein is wrong you know Mikel Arteta probably wouldn't want to give that information out if it were true he certainly wouldn't want to confirm it because that would mean Brighton would understand probably what it is that we're going to do what we're looking to do how we're going to like to build up and with Kieran Tierney in the team that's very different so they potentially prepare in a different way, Mikel Arteta will want to keep them guessing. I am certain of that. So just because Mikel Arteta said this does not mean that David Ornstein's report was wrong. Only time is going to tell and we'll be able to work out who was right, who was keeping it from us. Uh, We'll be able to figure all of that out, of course, when match day comes. But this is what um, Mikel said when he was asked. Uh, about Zinchenko and Saliba's injury statuses. He said, we have another session tomorrow before the Brighton game, and we're trying to get players back for that. Today, we haven't trained on the pitch, so we'll know more tomorrow. With William, it's for sure that he's not going to be fit for this game, and we're doubting whether he'll be fit for the next game as well. But we want to keep the hope going and make sure that we give ourselves the best chance of having them back. He was asked if this would be an opportunity for Kieran Tierney should Zinchenko be out. And he said there are opportunities for everybody in every game. They have to show that they are up to it and then that we make the right or wrong decision with the lineup, giving the players the minutes that they deserve. It's very difficult with players in this sport because you pick 11 to play and some to be a sub. And it's not always right. You do it all the time, though, with your best intentions. He spoke about Jakub Kivior, called him impressive, composed, calm. He said he's been very good against two very difficult opponents with a lot of individual talent within their ranks. And he says he's dealt with a lot of situations um, in a really, really good way. Uh, Lots of talk about the Aaron Ramsdale contract. Of course, we've been talking about that on the show over the past few days. Is there any truth in that? Has it been agreed? Is an announcement around Aaron Ramsdale's contract imminent? Mikhail said at the moment, there's nothing to announce with any individual. We'll do that as a club like we always do, but it's not the moment to talk about that. So he didn't didn't kill the talk. Um, He talked a little bit about Ramsdale's performances, the development uh, over the last, uh, of course, few years. Uh, He was asked lots of questions about Brighton, as you'd expect, given, um, you know, there are opponents this weekend. I think this was really, really interesting one for me, though, because lots of people have been praising um, Brighton and Hove Albion's model, the way they've been able to go out and recruit players for, in some cases, next to nothing, Bring them to the Premier League, show them in a fantastic light, develop them, and then be able to move them on and turn a significant profit. and And that's been happening for a few seasons now. But you look at Brighton's squad this summer, and you you think that's going to happen again? You know, there's a good chance that Moises Caicedo moves on. For example, he will go for a lot of money. You know, you look at Alexis McAllister; he has the potential now to move on for a lot of money. Even people like Young Evan Ferguson up top, players that. You know, maybe aren't quite there yet. Maybe he needs another season at Brighton and Hove Albion. But you can see what they're doing; they're developing him, they're getting him to the next level, and there will come a point, I'm sure, with him where he moves on as well. And Brighton, um, having done their business very well, will be in a position whereby they can make a lot of money uh, off the back of that. Then you add into the equation people like Enciso, who's coming to the picture this season as well. Another one that I believe is probably going to end up being sold on for quite a bit of money. But the question that was put to Mikel Arteta was. Is the Brighton model one that the top clubs should be looking to replicate? And I was interested to see what Mikel was going to say here. When that question was asked, my first thought was, hmm, that's interesting because what you don't want to do when you're about to play Brighton in a really important game who have just been absolutely pumped by Everton, what you don't want to do if you're Mikel Arteta is be disrespectful to them. And I've said in the past that when people have looked at his comments and and thought that you know, they were nonsense or, for example, when he praised the Southampton manager, Ruben Sellers, in the build-up to the game, everybody said, oh, what, what is he talking about? What has he been watching all season? Southampton have been dreadful. And Southampton came to the Emirates and and, and got a draw. So you don't want to disrespect or discredit people in the build-up to a game against them. I don't think there isn't that nasty rivalry between Arsenal and Brighton, between Arteta and De Zerbi. There isn't any of that. So you, you'd have thought that he would have kind of towed the line a little bit on this and said, look, it's great. You know, it's about having good recruitment. It's about running well as a business. It's about producing on the pitch so that people are interested in your players. What he did, though, was make it very clear, which most pe- people can see and, and and pretty much everybody knows. But what he made crystal clear was that the expectation at Arsenal is completely different to that at Brighton and Hove Albion. And, Whilst he's not wrong, I wasn't sure that he was going to give such a a blunt answer. I kind of expected a politician's answer on this from Mikel Arteta, because in the lead up to games, that's what we tend to get from him. But we didn't get that today. He said, no, you cannot replicate it. I think the model that Brighton have is great for Brighton, but we can't have the same model. We have to have a different model. I'm sure there are things we can apply to our model that they, of course, do extremely well, but it is a different model. They have different demands, they have a different size of club and probably a different approach as well. So it would be a mistake, in my opinion, to try and do that. So Mikel Arteta making it clear that there really is no comparison between these two clubs. And so one shouldn't be made. And and what Mikel Arteta is suggesting is that there are other clubs out there as well who would never get away with trying to apply the Brighton model because the demands on that club and on those clubs are so different. Are so much bigger, are so much higher, and I, and I completely agree with that. Um, but I was just interested to see how he was going to tackle that question, and um and I thought he he did really well to kind of just be straight to the point. And you know, Brighton fans might not like that. It might be something that Roberto De Zerbi can use to fire up his players. Um, and that's my worry about comments like that. But you know, when you you sort of break it down and you think about it. He hasn't said anything wild or anything, in my opinion, inaccurate. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Halo Mateo says, uh, Harry, a shout out for Saka and Odegaard. who got second and third in the Football Writers Association Men's Footballer uh, of the Year for the 2023 award. Has that been officially announced or was that just a report that was going around? Um, Because sometimes you get these reports where what they're they've done essentially is announced the results before um they've actually been officially published because i was looking earlier when i read this on twitter and i couldn't see arsenal uh sort of acknowledging this report in any way shape or form i mean it'd be amazing if both of those guys are in the um are in the top three um you know that'd be fantastic and what a testament to how far they've come from last season as well but yeah, no official confirmation of that just yet. I'm actually a member of the Football Writers Association as well. And um, and I haven't heard anything on that to confirm it. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. But anyway, uh, right, that's kind of the, the main bits from the, the press conference. Not too much more really to dive into if you ask me. There's plenty of conversation, plenty of discussion, plenty of topics touched upon. But those were kind of the highlights for me, the bits that I felt were important uh, to sort of just uh, gloss over that, as we tend to do in the build-up to one of these games. What I want to do, though, is have a look at Brighton and Hove Albi and our opponents this weekend. What can we expect from them? Now, what has happened in recent weeks is that Roberto De Zerbi has made a few changes here and there. And so I expect there'll probably be a few changes um, going into the game on Sunday. The, the lineup that I've brought up on the screen is is Brighton's lineup against Everton. It was obviously a game that they got beaten in. But there are players on the bench who we'll touch on in a moment that I'm sure are in with a good shout of being involved this weekend. So Steele was the goalkeeper. Pascal Gross played at right-back. Purvis Estupinian played at left-back with Duncan Webster in the heart of the defence. The midfield was Caicedo and McAllister with Undav just in front of them. Mitoma, who's been a revelation this season, played from the left-hand side and Buonanotte, uh played from the right-hand side with Danny Welbeck up top. But if you scroll forward and have a look at their bench, you know, Robert Sanchez is a, a really good goalkeeper on the bench. Levi Colwell um, could easily come into the eleven. Solly March could come into the eleven. And CISO uh, has been really, really good of late. People like Billy Gilmore have played um, recently. Evan Ferguson, the centre forward, could come into the side as well. So When you look at Brighton's squad, what you see is a squad that is capable of rotating and is capable of making a number of changes going into this one. So it's very difficult to predict exactly what their lineup is going to look like. Is Roberto De Zerbi going to say, you really let me down against Everton. That was a dreadful performance. I need to ring the changes. Or are there certain elements of that team that he's probably going to try and stick with? I think he'll stick with the centre-backs if they're both fit. I think he'll stick with Estipinian at left-back. I think he'll want McAllister and Caicedo in the team regardless. Um, Could we see a change up front? I mean, Evan Ferguson isn't quite the same type of striker as Danny Welbeck. So this will depend on what De wants to do tactically. I actually think away from home, if you want to play on the break, if you want to play on the counter-attack. And Brighton will do that less than others because it's not really in their nature. But I would argue that Welbeck is probably the better option in that sense. Someone said in the comments earlier that Solly Marsh could be out. I don't know if that's true. Uh, But if he is fit, you'd assume that he's got a chance of starting ahead of Buonanotte. Uh, And, and, you know, maybe Undav doesn't start as well. So there are lots of options to Roberto De Zerbi, which makes this a really, really difficult lineup to try and break down and to try and understand. Equally, Arsenal have the ability to shake things up a little bit as well. And particularly with the uncertainty around whether or not Zinchenko is going to be available, Brighton will be guessing as well, I'm sure, right up until the last minute. Let's have a look then at the head-to-head between these two teams in the Premier League and some of their um, sort of overriding statistics uh, from the Premier League this season. So in terms of head-to-head, 11 games played between Arsenal and Brighton in the Premier League. The Gunners have won on four of the occasions, Brighton have won four, and there have been three draws between the two sides. So, you know, that is an equally split record you know, Brighton haven't been in the Premier League for a very, very long time. They've always been able to cause us problems. And um, and that's been a, a huge frustration for me. You know, it's a credit to them. But I think only in the last couple of years have they sort of gone up a level, you know, before they were a side that would go on a little bit of a run, kind of get clear of the relegation fight. And then towards the end of the season, they, they'd slump again, but they'd normally done enough to make sure that they didn't slide right back into the drop zone the last couple of seasons and this began with Graham Potter they've begun climbing up the table and I think Roberto De Zerbi has taken them to another level to the point where they're in the conversation for European football and that is a testament to all of the things that we discussed earlier on their recruitment model the strategy behind it the ability to sell but also recruit the right players to come in and replace those individuals the ability to um, appoint the right coaches, have the right staff around them and squeeze close to the maximum out of their group of players pretty much every time they go out onto the field of play. So lots and lots of Brighton to be proud of. If we have a look at the last five meetings between the two clubs on Saturday, 31st of December, it was New Year's Eve. I was at this game uh, at the Amex Stadium. I remember my wife was like, what time are you going to be back from work on New Year's Eve? And I was like, 11 o'clock. She was like, what? I was like, yeah, it's a 5:30 kickoff, uh, which is not ideal. Um, but hey, it is what it is. It was worth the trip in the end because Arsenal ran out four or two winners that day. Um, going back to last season, towards the back end of last season, we lost at home to Brighton on Saturday, 9th of April, by two goals to one. That was one of the really damaging results. We had a run of three games, didn't we? Where we really um sort of slumped and struggled, and, and although people looked at our sort of run later on in the season where we were beating at Spurs and then beating at Newcastle and and put it down to that. I think it was Brighton, Southampton and maybe Crystal Palace, was it? Three games in a row, if my memory serves me correctly, where we dropped a lot of points. And um, and I think ultimately that was our undoing. If you go back to Saturday, the 2nd of October, 2021, there was a nil-nil draw between the two sides at the Amex. And if you take it back to the season before, a 2-0 win for Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium on Sunday, the 23rd of May. And uh, on the 29th of December 2021, Arsenal won away at the Amex by a goal to nil. Let's have a look at the form guide, the recent form of these two sides. Arsenal have won just two of their last five. Brighton have won uh, three of their last five, but they've picked up a couple of defeats along the way. Arsenal's two victories coming at home to Chelsea and away at Newcastle following that disappointing run of results, which included a draw at Anfield, a draw at West Ham, a draw at home to Southampton. And then, of course, that damaging defeat up at the Etihad. For Brighton, they were on the receiving end of an absolute beating, as I said, at home to Everton last weekend. What is that going to do to them? Because if you go back to when they played Nottingham Forest, what, three, four weeks ago, they lost that game, a game that a lot of people expected them to win, maybe at least get a draw from although they were up against a side really fighting for their lives, Forrest isn't an easy place to go. Um, and, and what happened was Forrest beat them really well, I thought, and played really well. And you were starting to question whether Brighton were just going to fall off of it towards the end of the season. And if they were going to struggle to, um, you know, be able to kind of pick themselves back up after that result, knowing that whatever happened between now and the end of the season, they'd had a good campaign. And there wasn't really too much further they could push. Yet Europe was a possibility and is a possibility mathematically. But are they going to make the Champions League? No, they're not. You know, were they going to make the Europa League? Probably not. And you you just wondered how they were going to kind of cope with that and live with that. What did they do? They responded with a 6-0 win over Wolves in which they played some brilliant stuff. And then, of course, they beat Manchester United with that 97th uh, minute Alexis McAllister penalty kick that day. So they responded to their last setback really, really well. They've just had another one. How will they respond at Emirates Stadium? Now, what I will say is coming to the Emirates is a different kettle of fish. It's totally different to taking on Wolves at home. But just be wary of the fact that Brighton are going to probably want to bounce back. and, And there isn't really any pressure on Brighton in this game. The wider world expects them to lose it. We desperately need to win it. The pressure is all on Arsenal, literally, um, going into this game. And as we've seen in recent weeks, that can sometimes weigh heavy, can't it? Season so far, of course, Arsenal sit in second at the moment. 25 wins on the board, six draws, four defeats. Brighton sit in seventh, which is a very, very respectable position for Brighton and Hove Albion. They've won 16 games, drawn seven and lost 10. In terms of average goals scored per match... They run at just under two. Their figure is 1.91. Average goals conceded per match is 1.36. They've managed 11 clean sheets in comparison to our 13. But they do, and as I always say with this stat, take it with a pinch of salt, because I have no idea how they come to this figure. But apparently, Brighton create more chances per match than Arsenal. So keep your eyes on that one. In terms of top player stats across the two clubs, top goal scorers in the Premier League, well, Arsenal... Have a couple of players sitting joint at the top of the pile. Gabriel Martinelli and Martin Odegaard have 15 apiece. Bukayo Saka sits in third on 13. So no one in uh, Brighton uh, colours there when it comes to assists. Bukayo Saka leads the way on 11. Second is the man who made the switch from Brighton to Arsenal. Be interesting to see if he's involved and and how that pans out, won't it? Given the way he left the club, Leandro Trossard is in second. Solly March, who I'm being told by some of you in the chat, is injured. Um, is in third place with seven. But I don't know that for a fact. not saying you guys are wrong. I just, I'm not sure myself. Uh, In terms of passes, Lewis Dunk is at the top of the pile. I always go on about how basically when we come up against every other club in this statistical comparison, uh, our centre-backs sit at the top of the pile. But not this time because Lewis Dunk is there. And Moises Caicedo has come in third uh, behind uh, Gabriel Magalhaes. Uh, Tackles, Caicedo, top of the pile, Partey second, Alexis McAllister in third. So they are some of the overriding statistics, some of the facts um, and uh, a quick look at our seasons so far. Right. We're going to take a very, 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 very brief pause to bring you a message from our sponsor. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a mo just after this. The Chronicles of Aguna podcast is sponsored by the good people over at NordVPN. What is NordVPN? It's a virtual private network service from which you can surf the web. It adds an additional layer of security to your uh, details and all your information when you're browsing, but it also opens plenty of doors. Why? Because you can change your virtual location to basically wherever you want in the world, which means... You can access subscriptions, you can access streams, you can access content programming, um, flights that can be booked from other countries. You can access a whole world of different things which can save you money or just give you the things that you want and that are normally geoblocked. Uh, that's one of the main benefits of NordVPN. There is the added layer of security and there's plenty more you can do with it as well. If you sign up to NordVPN using our discount, uh, you can do that by the link that is in the description below, nordvpn.com forward slash chroniclesafc. You'll be able to not only save yourself a huge chunk of money, you'll be able to, of course, add four months free at the end of your plan. Now, say you'll save a huge chunk of money. The truth is NordVPN doesn't cost that much money. It's the price of a cup of coffee per month. And I'm sure when you experience it and you get to enjoy the benefits, you'll agree that it is more than worth the investment northvpn.com forward slash chronicles afc we thank them for their kind sponsorship of the podcast check them out if anyone's got any questions about it feel free to dm me give me a shout i use it regularly and i'll be able to give you the delo on that there we go big thank you to the good people over at nordvpn if anyone's got any questions on that and uh, Wandering Minstrel, I, I know I've got to give you a call, so I will um, on that. Um, if I can help with anyone's questions on that, let me know. I'm not just saying this because they're sponsoring the podcast, but it is a really fantastic service for the internet users out there, the regular internet users out there. And it. it this is an opportunity to get it at a discounted rate and for four months for free as well. So uh, this offer, I think, to my knowledge at the moment, is running for what? Maybe another couple of weeks. So you want to get on it ASAP before that offer expires. Uh, but thank you to those that have done it already. And thank you to those that will do it, of course, in the future. <clears throat> that coffee tastes good. Right. Let's get back to it then. So we've done Mikel Arteta's press conference. We've done our look at Brighton. We've done the head to head statistics. And we've told you all about NordVPN. It's time now to dive into what my starting 11 would be against the Seagulls this Sunday. Now, although Mikel Arteta refused to rule out Alexander Zinchenko, I can't see him playing. i got to be honest, I just don't see it. So I've taken that into consideration when naming my lineup. Um, the other kind of big decision or thing that I needed to think about was what I do in midfield. And one of the things that's been on my mind since I heard the Zinchenko news is what does that mean for us in midfield? Does that mean that we're better off sticking with Jorginho because, you know, he is that sort of calm influence on the ball, can progress the ball between the lines really well. I know Thomas Partey can do all of those things too when he's on form and, and when he's fit and firing. But I, I was trying to think this morning about how Tierney being in the team actually changes that dynamic and that balance in midfield. And the more I think about it, the more I think, uh, even though I, I made this sort of graphic earlier, the more I think that maybe I'm wrong here, and that maybe Thomas Partey should come back into the team. And I'll explain the reasons why now. So let's let's just let's just say that this is Jorginho in the middle of the park. Right? You're going to have your back four. One of the things we've been able to do better since Kivior came in is squeeze that line right up the pitch, and and make sure that the spaces in between the lines are much smaller. Therefore, the press is a lot more effective. Therefore, you know we're, we're able to play our game. We we just lost our way a little bit in terms of the way we were playing. Um, you know, sort of when uh, when of course Holding was in the heart of the defense. What we've also had to do at times is is tuck Granite Xhaka that little bit deeper to help us uh, to to co- sort of cope with the fact that we were maybe a little bit weaker at centre back as well. Has that taken away from his game at times, possibly? I actually think that at Newcastle, what we played with looked a little bit more like this in terms of the reality, where Xhaka was just that little bit deeper, providing that little bit more protection for Jorginho, who then had a smaller area to cover. And Xhaka was protecting Zinchenko, too, who, as we keep saying, as a defender, isn't quite 100% there. But the more I think about this, the more I worry actually about Jorginho playing in that midfield position alone without Zinchenko alongside him because what Zinchenko does do is he drifts in field a lot and so when you lose the ball on the transition you end up with a situation where if this was Zinchenko he'd be quite close to Jorginho because of his inverted position and therefore they can marshal that space between the two of them that gives time to Gabriel to get out to the left it gives time to Saka to get back and it gives time to Kivior to shift across and Ben White to tuck in as he naturally does, having been a centre-back for most of his career, and allow us to deal with those transitional situations. What my worry is with um, Kieran Tierney playing at left-back is that he is not going to drift infield as much as Zinchenko does. I know it's Mikel's instruction and I know it's what Mikel will want him to do, but it doesn't come naturally to Tierney, So it does change the way we play a little bit. And therefore, if Tierney is going to have to think twice to to make sure he does it, and at times maybe not do it as quickly as Zinchenko does, are we going to leave Jorginho in a position where he is going to be left to deal with a big space, which we know is not his strength? Is he going to be in that position a lot more than he would be had Zinchenko been in the side? So the, the positive is that if Brighton are coming down that right-hand side and looking to to beat our fullback, I would put much more trust and faith in Chiarantini to deal with that situation as a one-on-one defender. But does it weaken our core because he's not going to be as inverted as Zinchenko? And it doesn't matter how many times Mikel tells him to do it, how many times on the training ground he's shown that move, that pattern of play, it's not natural to him. And when something's not natural to you, it can even take a split second to 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 sort of register in your mind, but that split second can make all the difference between you getting there in time and not getting there in time. So I just wonder if now's the time to bring Partey back in. He's been out of the picture. He's refreshed. He should be fighting fit, ready to go. He's talked uh, today quite well, actually, about the competition with Jorginho, what that means, the fact that he's ready to come back in when he's called upon. Is this the game to bring him back in? I think it might be, you know. I initially went with Jorginho in my lineup, hence why he's on the graphic. But the more I think about this thing now, the more I think that perhaps Thomas Partey would be the better option. Do I expect Mikel, though, to do that? Or do I expect Mikel to stick with Jorginho? I have to say. I expect him to stick with Jorginho because his form has been brilliant. He hasn't put a foot wrong up until now. So why would you want to change it? I get that. But for me personally, because this is what we're doing here, the lineup that I would pick, because of Tierney being back in the side, um, given that it's likely Zinchenko misses out, and because of his sort of natural inclinations to do different things to Alexander Zinchenko, which in my opinion, weaken us in the center and weaken our core, I think it might be time to bring Thomas Partey. Let me know. Would you do that? Let me know in the comments. Would you bring Thomas Partey back in or would you continue with Jorginho? Because he's a really sort of lively Brighton midfield. You know, the same concerns basically that I had going up to St. James's Park are are playing a big part on my mind here too. But at St. James's Park, as I say, with Zinchenko being able to tuck in field, we could get cover to Jorginho quicker. And at times we ended up with... Zinchenko in there, Granit Xhaka in there, and Jorginho in there, and that provided a really good screen, just meaning that Jorginho would not get exposed. This time it could be different, and I and I really do believe that. So I'm interested to know um, what you guys think that's going to look like, how you guys think that's going to work. Uh, Kenny says, our conductor Granit Xhaka would have to change his style. So that suggests that you believe that it will be on, Zin- uh, I beg your pardon, on Xhaka's shoulders, to make sure that he gives Jorginho that cover. But if Kirantini's bombed on, Xhaka would have to tuck in a little bit deeper. Um, It's going to be interesting. I'm not sure. Afsar says Partey must play. Uh, Ayan says, uh, when Zinchenko drifts inside, Xhaka covers at left back. Maybe Xhaka will cover um, in midfield. Yeah, you know, and and that's what we're going to have to try and work out. Uh, What else have we got? Um, that's pretty much it in terms of, uh, this subject. Uh, Halo Mateo says, Jorginho showed in his form, never change a winning team. Look, I'm not, it's not one of those things, right? Where if Jorginho plays and it goes wrong, you're going to get me after the game saying Mikel Arteta was diabolical today. He got it completely wrong. This is a shambles, etc. etc. You're not going to get that from me because I don't think it's that clear cut. And I don't think there's much in this debate and in this discussion. But if I were the one making the decisions, if I were the one tasked with picking the team, that's what I would personally do. I would bring Thomas Partey back in because I'd have more faith in him to be able to cover a wider area of ground. The counter-argument to that, though, is that Jorginho maybe is better in a, in terms of his progressive passing than Thomas Partey. It's not to say Partey can't do it, but Jorginho is just a little bit cleverer in it, protects the ball really, really well. And maybe without Zinchenko, you feel like you need that little bit more of a kind of conductor in midfield, which Jorginho certainly is, than the the, posi- the, the, the sort of real strengths of Partey, which is aside from being able to pass well and all that, are his physicality, his mobility, all of those things. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, a good point from Ian in the chat as well. Partey could play because his physicality. Um, needs to be there because of course Kaiseido is coming up against us on the other side as well that's a really good uh, and interesting point as well Um, so that's my lineup then for those of you listening on audio I've I've sort of talked myself out of my initial selection now which is Ramsdale in goal. White, Kivior, Gabriel and Tierney I had Jorginho in defensive midfield but I'm going to change that for Partey so my midfield is is a is uh uh, reverting back to the tried and tr- trusted, the tested, the midfield that's got us, I believe, to where we are in the table at the moment of Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard. Saka one side, Martinelli on the other, Jesus through the middle. There is a lot of talk about Saka's form lately and, and that maybe it's time that he gets taken out of the team. If he is going to come out of the team, it's got to be for Trossard. I wouldn't put Trossard in ahead of Martinelli and I wouldn't put Trossard in ahead of Jesus. So the only chance in my world where Trossard starts this game is if Bukayo Saka is taken out. Now, I'm not saying I'd be massively against that, but I am saying it is incredibly unlikely that Mikel Arteta would do that, given how important he sees Bukayo Saka as being and the fact that he's one of the first names on the team sheet pretty much um, every week. And and whenever he's available, he plays. It's as simple as that. In terms of my prediction, I'm going to go positive. I'm going to go for an Arsenal win. I'm going to say Arsenal 3 Brighton and Hove Albion won. I I said this on the show yesterday. I know that we can't control what goes on at Goodison Park, but can you just imagine what the atmosphere will be like at Emirates Stadium if Arsenal do watch Manchester City drop points prior? Um, You know, you never know how it's going to go. And, you know, maybe that additional pressure will be a problem for us, but you're going to have to ride through these pressure situations at some point if you want to go on and win the league. Pep Guardiola has been talking as well today. Head of their game he's been moaning about the fact that man city's game should have been on saturday and it, the reason it isn't is because of the eurovision and you know that's a that's a problem for Manchester the city he's also gone on and said that arsenal will definitely win all of their remaining games and you know maybe he's trying to make sure that he hammers that message home to his players that the standards can't drop they have to be um you know adhered to followed etc etc so yeah uh, really, really interesting sort of stuff going on in the background, mind games, et cetera, et cetera. These two managers know each other personally as well inside out, which makes it even more intriguing and fascinating to watch them sort of do battle psychologically. But um, yeah, look, let's pray that everything can get something. What I will say is the best way to approach this mentally going into the weekend is to is to basically just convince yourself that Everton aren't getting shit from Man City basically because the likelihood of them doing so is not very high um you know we'd like to think it is because we're chasing and the fact that we've looked at their fixtures and one of the ones that we're quite well I, I am personally or what I have been banking on is this one says a lot because it, it is it, in that in itself tells you that our chances are not massively big um you know, Everton are down at the bottom of the table for a reason. Yes, they need the points. Yes, they got a morale boosting victory over our opponents this weekend, last weekend. But, you know, this Everton side haven't been good this season. And to to think that they're going to hold off Man City, I think, you know, is, is maybe a little bit ambitious. I guess we're kind of banking on the fact that, you know, Manchester City are, are tired after the Champions League semi-final. Maybe they've got one eye on the second leg of that. Obviously, City know they can drop points in a couple of games as well, which maybe could contribute to a tiny bit of complacency creeping in. Maybe I'm just trying to convince myself of our chances. I don't know. Um, But yeah, it's... um, If you go into Sunday expecting them to drop points and they don't, then it could lead to quite a flat atmosphere at Emirates Stadium. And I remember that happening earlier on this season when they played against Liverpool, I think it was, in the early game. And then we played at three o'clock. And I remember sort of it having that kind of impact because everybody had got down to the Emirates nice and early to watch the Man City-Liverpool game on the TV. Liverpool took the lead that day, I think, through most Salah as well. And we kind of all got into that zone of, oh my God, it might happen today, and then it didn't. And then that can really impact you. So Try not to get in that mindset. Just focus on our game. Get down to the ground nice and early. Get behind the team, support them, push them through it. Let's win our game and let's just be there in case. You know, as I've said repeatedly over the last few weeks, the worst possible outcome for me now would be for, for them to drop the necessary points and us not be ready to take them. And what's gone has gone. We responded with a win over Chelsea, comfortable win over them. We went to St. James's Park and we won, which was the game that I think a lot of people felt was going to be the final nail in our coffin as far as our title charge and challenge went. And so, you know, having come through that, we're still in this. So let's make sure that we stay in it right until the death and um, and see where we end up. So anyway, my prediction, Arsenal 3, Brighton and Hove Albion 1. Let's do the Q&A. Anyone got any questions? There's a few in the chat box, uh, which I'll pick up uh, in just a moment. Just a quick reminder. If you haven't done so already and you want to support the podcast, you can access the Chronicles of Aguna Premium over on the Another Slice platform. Um, There you'll be able to access post-match player ratings after every Premier League game. Another episode of that to drop on Sunday after we finish up at Brighton. And that will come to you from the Emirates Stadium. So it's normally within about an hour of the full time whistle, give or take, just depending on the the work commitments that I have there. You know that sometimes I, I go to interview the manager and and go to the press conference and everything's hunky-dory. Arsenal have just won and he comes out really quickly and he's in a good mood. And, and other times, if the result's been disappointing, you might not see Mikel Arteta for sometimes 40 to 45 minutes after the final whistle. And that can just delay my process a little bit, which is why uh, I ask for a little bit of patience on, on sort of getting those out because sometimes that can be the case. And um, when you're working for a broadcaster, you need to obviously fulfill those obligations, get those interviews, et cetera, et cetera. It's not my own thing that I can just kind of put on ice when I need to. Um, But, yeah, I appreciate uh, the patience with regards to that. Afsar says, uh, why don't Arsenal sign Brighton's football scouts? Because they're one of the best in the Premier League and will save Arsenal millions of pounds. I think there was some element of truth in what Mikel Arteta was saying on this about the idea of replicating the model. The demands at Arsenal are so high that you just can't replicate a a model that serves Brighton well. Uh, They're seventh in the table using this sort of approach. And, you know, if we were seventh, I know we've got more resources, so you could argue that maybe they could look at players in a higher bracket of a higher calibre. But if Brighton, you know, go on a four or five game run where they don't win, but they're still sort of in the top half of the table, people will say, well, you know, it's Brighton having a really good season. You know, if if a player comes in from Ecuador, let's say, for argument's sake, plays okay one week, brilliantly the next week, then goes back to playing okay, then has a bit of a stinker. There isn't that same level of scrutiny on their signings because of who they are. And so I I think you've got to be looking at a higher level if you're Arsenal and um, and I think that's what Mikel Arteta was kind of alluding to in his point about that if it was as easy as just going and hoovering up the best scouts then then everybody would do it and we've brought people in who have been well regarded scouts in the past and it just hasn't worked out so it's one of those where you need to be a little bit cautious and um, you know if what you say look I mean prime example is a recent example look at Chelsea Todd Bowley didn't have a fucking clue what to do as he as he doesn't because he's like playing football manager. We've we've talked about that over and over again. So what did Todd Bowley do? He looked at the Premier League. He looked across it and he tried to find a club that, in his opinion, was punching above its weight. He tried to find a club with a a youngish manager who was punching above his weight and basically take all of those components and translate it to Chelsea. But those components are not always translatable. Those components don't always fit in the model at another club and in the machine that is another club. Graham Potter was great for Brighton, but didn't fit at Chelsea. The scouts didn't fit. Some of the recruitment ideas, as we've seen based on how some of those transfers have worked out, haven't really um, sort of filled you with any confidence. So those models are not always transferable. Those individuals are not always transferable is what I'd say to that. Um, so I don't think it's as black and white as, um, as just doing that. A says, what is the max price for Declan Rice to Arsenal? You would pay for me. It's about the 80 million pound mark. Um, if we paid 72 million pound for Nicholas Pepe, we can pay 80 million for Declan Rice. Once you start going beyond that, I think it becomes crazy. I think it becomes ridiculous. And I would love to see Arsenal just say, F it. This is the player we want. Let's go that extra mile. But I just can't see it. I just can't, you know, Um, I think around about 80 would be sort of my upper um, sort of price. Uh, You know, if it takes 82, 83, and that's the difference between getting it done, then, then, hey, do it. Um, But yeah, I think that 80 is about my limit from what I think. Creambone says, Harry, regardless of where we finish this season, what do you think the target for next season is for Arsenal? First and foremost, they've got to make sure that they've got a squad, in my opinion, that can balance the demands of not just domestic and European football, but domestic and top level European football. So it's about sustaining the level that we've reached this season. Where that leaves you in the table remains to be seen. If you've got a Liverpool and a Manchester City like you have had in recent years, getting 97, 98 points in your sort of high 80s, you know, you're going to end up finishing third. But a lot of the time, if you're in the high 80s towards the 90s, you will be in the title race. Obviously, the target is that you want to go one step better and win. But I think the first point of call is is to make sure that we can sustain and improve and not regress. That's that's the big thing for me, because we've got ahead of ourselves. And when you get ahead of yourself too soon, too fast, sometimes you can fall back and everybody can be like, what's going on? And, and all of a sudden, a crisis can be born in the minds of those following and, and those sort of covering the football club, which, isn't really a crisis it's more of a leveling out and so for me it's about maintenance of where we are um of of how we've improved and and looking to then once you've solidified that then grow on that and build on that so that's that's what i would say odredeck says harry do you think city losing or drawing will have a positive impact on the team or will it put them under more pressure against brighton i think a bit of both i think it will galvanize us the fans, which I think in turn will help. Um, I think there's a lot to gain. Obviously, mathematically, gives you a chances. You know what the message would be from me if I were the boss. If City did drop points, is you've effed this up already. You've been given another chance to 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 push this, and you know them dropping points once doesn't mean that we're going to win it. But you've got a chance to really ramp up the pressure on them. And so you've got to go out there and take it. So it could be a huge motivation. The pressure is a problem, but as I say, if you want to win the biggest trophies at some point, you're going to have to overcome those pressured situations. Uh, What else have we got? Uh, Cesar says, would you include a player plus cash for Rice? Player plus 60, 70 million? I think it's unlikely that West Ham are going to entertain that type of deal, Um, especially for a player that doesn't really help them in their quest to sort of cover the hole left by the player that they're going to move on. So, yeah, um, let's see. Let's see. Um, I I don't think there are as many of these player plus cash deals that go on anymore, as as sort of people suggest. And I think it's one of the things that fans often come up with as as a way of maybe attaining players that would normally cost too much money. I don't see West Ham entertaining anything like that. I think they've set their stall out. They've told everybody publicly they want £120 million for Declan Rice. As I've said all along, I believe a deal will be done for less than that. But how much less remains to be seen. And I don't think they're going to be entertaining um, the idea of a player swap. I think they're going to want to get as much cash in the door as they possibly can. Um, Raul says, what do you make of the claims that Arsenal would never be in a position then in a better position than now to win the league? I understand why people say that, but I also think it's disingenuous. And I think it's actually disrespectful to what Arsenal have done this season. It's as though people have just gone, well, you know, this is a fluke and it isn't really, is it? Because Arsenal have been improving over the last 18 months and have got to a point now where they made quite a big stride from sort of missing out on the top four to really pushing Man City for the title. That is an opinion that I hear all the time from my colleagues and, and one that really frustrates me. And it's born out of people ignoring the idea of Arsenal potentially getting better or moving forward. It's as if everyone thinks, well, this is Arsenal's absolute peak now they're going to um, they're gonna stop. Everyone else is going to move forward and, and Arsenal just aren't. So I don't really buy into that. I think it's something that is just a prediction, nothing more than that. Uh, Birat says, why are people criticizing Saka for his recent performances? Don't you think he has played okay despite not being at his best? Um, yeah, I think he's played okay. I don't think he's played bad. No chance. I don't think he's played bad at all, but he set a very high bar. And I think when he falls just a little bit below that, Um, people are naturally going to ask questions. It has been the case for a few weeks now. But I would have him in the team because I think he has that ability to make the difference. I think even the fact that just opponents just really focus on him a lot, it, it can help us create spaces in other areas of the pitch because of that added attention that is put on him. You know, sometimes that means his performance will suffer. And I've said this about Odegaard before as well. Sometimes their individual performance might not be at the highest level, but they can take people away and they can draw the focus and attention of the opponent which can open the door for others. I'm going to take one more guys because I am pushed for time. Um apologies to those whose questions I didn't get around to um but keep hold of them. And we will uh we will touch on uh, those if you drop them back in the chat uh when we come back with our next show. Albert says, uh Harry my dear friend love you pal and you mate good to see you. Uh, he says if Arsenal were to bring in a striker for next season, who would you want Arsenal to bring in? Or who could you see Arsenal going for? I haven't got a name. I like I haven't got a specific name. But I would like to see a different type of striker come in. I would love to see someone who is a little bit more physical. Not that Jesus isn't. He puts himself about someone with a bit more of a, a physical presence, i.e. an aerial threat. The ability to hold up the ball in a different way. Because I think Jesus does it by sort of dribbling and sort of backing into people. And and when he brings it down, then sort of popping it off left and right, he can go out wide and support the the wingers. Sometimes I'd like to see us be able to get the ball into the box that little bit earlier. And to do that, I think we need someone who's going to challenge the centre-halves across the near post, all of that stuff. We um, We just don't really have that at the moment. So it's about having an alternative type of striker for me. Uh, that can give us a different option when we need a different solution in some of those tight games. Um, So that's what I'd say to that. I haven't got a specific name. Um, Apologies to those whose questions I didn't get around to. I am sorry, uh, but I promise um, if you drop some in the next show, we'll make sure we get around to them. I could sit here all night um, and, and just answer questions that are coming through in the chat box. But I have got a dash. I have got a run. I'll see you all soon with another show. Come on, you Gunners. Let's go out there, do our job, beat Brighton, and whatever happens at Goodison Park happens. Hopefully, though, is something that will um, keep us right in the hunt. I'll see you all soon. Until next time, leave a like on the way out. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking you. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.